to Husky Talk Plus. It is day six of the Iditarod and Friday the 13th. With all college and pro teams canceling their seasons, the Iditarod is still going strong. Most of the mushers have completed their 24-hour mandatory rest. Our lead teams are almost to the Yukon River. Mushers are required to take an eight-hour stop at a checkpoint along the Yukon River. Remember, there are three mandatory stops all musters must take. One 24-hour stop at any checkpoint, an eight-hour stop at a checkpoint on the Yukon River, and an eight-hour stop at White Mountain. Breaking news, Jesse Royer was the first musher, musher to Ruby. Being the first to this checkpoint, Jesse will learn a gourmet meal cooked by the staff of the Lakefront Hotel, as well as a cash prize. This will be a well-deserved break for Jesse. In other breaking news, Jeremy Keller has reportedly scratched from the race. His GPS is still active as he's, he is mushing home, and the Iditarod is going to monitor to him to make sure he arrives home safely. Now let's take a look at our leaderboard. Now that most mushers have completed their 24, we can really tell who is leading this race. Jesse Royer is currently leading the race at the recording of the podcast. Aaron Burmeister and Thomas Werner are leapfrogging between second and third place. Brett Sass is in fourth place. There are about three guys around the same mile marker, Ryan Reddington, Yor Olsum, and Richie Deal. It's time to hear from our Iditarod expert, Chaz St. George. Chaz is here today to talk with us about some drop dogs and scratches. Welcome back, Chaz. Hi, Chaz. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? <clears throat> Doing great, thanks. Can you first talk to us about what a drop dog is and why mushers would need to drop a dog? <clears throat> well, that's a really good question because we, we actually don't call them drop dogs anymore. We call them return dogs because some people thought we were dropping them. So, um, like off the ground, but, um, anyway, um, what I, what I think is most important about our return dog program is, is, um, is we're there to, um, to help uh, the musher make decisions about, you know, next steps and in, in his or her strategy up the trail. First decision is always about, you know, the dogs that might, might be displaying, um, some kind of, a some kind of a limp or something like, you know, they're athletes. So it's just like, you're, it's just like in a football game or a basketball game, you know, sometimes you get nicked up and you have to sit on the bench for a little while. And, and that's about the same, it's about the same kind of a mindset that we have is to make sure that if there are athletes that are injured in any way, shape or form, mushers have an opportunity to um, assess their, um, assess the, and, and evaluate um, the condition, and then they make the decision. We don't that uh, that they're going to return their dog. Um, there's another strategy, and that is that um, on the way up the trail, sometimes mushers actually strategically decide to return a dog, not because you know they're not they're not pulling or they're or they're, uh, they're you know, they might be a little bit injured, but also uh, they do it strategically to to. Um, to lighten their, the load, basically. And so uh, oftentimes, uh, strategically, they will say, okay, I've got to get uh, 14 dogs on my team right now, and I will, um, I'll be making sure that, that, you know, this dog, who is probably oftentimes they're dogs that are really young, that they want them to have an experience uh, on the race trail, 
uh, that they'll they'll go ahead and say um, so let's let's uh, return this dog or or maybe they might be um, a little bit older like a, like veteran you know veterans that have run the race five or six or seven times they might say okay now now would be a good time to uh, to return this dog so there's strategy involved in in that part of it but overall the uh, return dog program is really about the care and the well-being of our of our dogs holistically. We want to make sure that uh, that there is a um, there's a conversation with our uh, return dogs and you know with our uh, the uh, musher and the veterinarian uh, and uh, make sure that there is a, a clear um, there's a, there's a clear decision that's made based on uh, the well-being of the team as a whole. Does that help? Yeah. What happens to a return dog? <clears throat> oh, <clears throat> well, it depends on on um, how the how the flow goes. Our return dogs come back to uh, to Anchorage, and the return dogs can neither be picked up immediately by the dogs, uh, the uh, mushers, uh, dog handler, our owner, um, and right right at the lakefront um, in Anchorage, Alaska. If the if the um, handlers are not available, we we send them to um, Highland Correctional Facility for women. That is approximately about 13 miles away from where we are. <coughs> Excuse me, about 13 miles away from where we are, and um, and that allows for two things to happen. The return dog gets gets a lot of loving and caring from the, the female inmates at. Um, at the uh, Highland Correctional Facility, it's a program we've had with corrections in Alaska for for several years, and it, it helps. It just helps to heal both the dogs and and the um, the women who are caring for them. So it's a great um, it's a, it's a great collaboration. Uh, that the the, uh, the dog handlers, once they are available, will go to Highland Correctional Facility, show their identification, and then uh, the dog will be uh, turned over into their custody. That's neat. Yep. So there are currently only two mushers that have scratched this year. Can you talk to us about what it means to scratch and why a musher would scratch? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I, uh, there, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, oftentimes, the first third of this race, uh, in particular, uh, the two mushers who, who decided to, to scratch they both they didn't scratch uh, because uh, they were having problems with their team. Uh, they were having problems, and so um, and, and by that I mean they were struggling to to uh, to make it make it through to the next checkpoint. And in, in the case of Jim Lanier, that happened in Rainy Pass. In the case of uh, of uh, uh, Jeremy Keller, uh, he was able to move further up the trail, but he had made a personal decision to turn around and go back. And, and any musher, does not matter who they are, uh, has the right to decide to, um, to say, it's time for me to scratch. I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, just to end my race here. So um, there's, there's always an assessment and evaluation that's done by the race judge when a, musher, um, when a musher makes that declaration. It's not like we just say, hey, um, you know, you're, that's it, you're out, okay, no problem. We, we actually have conversation. Our, our race judges make sure that they have a conversation with them because it's important to find out what what the real factors are that contribute to the decision made by the musher. 
And so after that's determined and, um, and, and uh, everyone agrees, that's when we declare the scratch. Is this a normal number of scratches here, or is it higher or lower than normal? <clears throat> this is a lower number. Um, much, I would say much lower number. When you consider where we are in the race right now, we had a number of scratches um, in, in the southern route both years prior to this point in the race. Most of that was because of the, of the difficult terrain that, was, uh, that they were presented with, including tussocks and, and overflow water and, um, and barren ground. This year, we have, uh, it's, 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 it's a great trail. We have lots of snow, which allows for the dogs to run fluidly, for the mushers to absorb uh, less shock uh, in, on their sleds, on the you know, tail end of their sleds. So, so everybody uh, benefits from, from snow being on the ground. One last thing. So we know that the coronavirus has been affecting every other sport here in the U.S. Has it had any effect on the Iditarod? It has. It has. As a matter of fact, um, we declared yesterday, um, based on recommendations from the uh, Department of Health and Human Services from the state of Alaska, we've actually um, decided that we will not have a finisher's banquet in Nome this year. That will be relocated in all probability to Anchorage, um, you know, in the time to be determined. But I think, you know, it's it's indicative of of what can happen, and um, we are we are pressing through. The, the city of Nome has been gracious enough to allow us to end our race, not just stop our race. So we're going to end our race in Nome, and um, and then the mushers are going to. Are going to uh, to head back to to um, their you know wherever they came from, and we're going to look at uh, at uh, reorganizing or getting together uh, and and having a, a big finishers banquet someplace else in Alaska. Thank you so much for talking with us, Chaz. Well, we really appreciate it here. The Iditarod appreciates all of you, and uh, we hope one day to see you guys up here. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much. We will talk with you on Monday. Our topic will be race to the finish and the moves that have been made over the weekend. <clears throat> thank you. I look forward to that. <laughs> okay, let's not forget about our back of the pack. At this time of the recording, we have three guys in McGrath hanging on to the Red Lantern position. Nils Hans, Quince Mountain, and Al Eichensen. We have a story about Al. Al's seen quite a bit of time between Roan and Nikolai. We have found out why. According to his kennel Facebook page, Al has been battling 40 below zero temps and fierce winds. That is taking a lot out of the dogs. But they are trudging forward. One of his friends that he had been running with has frostbitten all 10 of his fingers. So Al has been helping to do chores he was unable to do with frostbitten fingers. Tempting to two teams is a feat in itself, all while battling winds and temperatures. Al said the wind chill was at least 65 below zero. What a nice thing of Al to do to help out his friend. It's time for the Iditarod question of the day. Our last question of the day was who was the first woman to run the Iditarod? We did have two emails with answers, both from Hershey, Pennsylvania, Zachary Elfar, and Audrey Bluthman emailed in with answers of Libby Riddles. Well, Libby Riddles was the first woman to win the Iditarod, not run. The first woman to run the Iditarod was Mary Shields. 
On Mary's first day of the race, a man yelled from the trail, You better turn around now. You'll never make it to Nome. Those words gave her the strength she needed to get to Nome. Thank again, thanks again for trying, Zachary and Audrey. Today's Iditarod question of the day. Who was the first... Vi- Who's the very first Iditarod teacher, Iditarod teacher on the trail? Remember to email your answer to huskytalk1 at gmail.com. We will read your answers on the podcast. Good luck. Thank you for listening. We will be back on Monday. Have a great weekend. I did, I did, I did, I did